liberty lockdown please scan your barcode your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold where did it come from and where did it go it requires a fight not tweeting from your phone don't need a king get him off the fucking throne if you're riding with the thought you've always got a home the virus is scared of will come and it'll go the government knows this don't get treated like a hoe Welcome, everybody, to a top 250 news podcast in America, according to Apple Podcasts. Y'all did that. Thank you very much for the support and for tuning in and sharing it and telling everybody about it. Because, I mean, I've only been doing this two years, and I am pretty consistently ranking in the top 250 of news podcasts in America. That is crazy to me. Uh, I, I've got almost up to top 100 at, at some points, but... Um, it just means means we're actually making a difference here. We're actually reaching a ton of people, and that is just mind blowing. Because I am independent, I am mo- most of this is off the cuff, and it's all because of you guys. So before we get into today's show, which is a double dip banger, got Michael Heiss, uh, I guess chair of the Mises Caucus Pack, I think is his official role. Um, I call him the Mises Caucus Maestro, and then we have an update from Seymour Mac. AKA, I think it's Mike that uh, has some bad news about what happened with his job. He was on a month ago and they were threatening to fire him and about a hundred of his coworkers for not getting the jab. And the news came down. So he was able to uh, speak more openly about this. So, anyways, both those interviews are, are going to be highly enjoyable. Uh, but before I do that, I wanted to talk a little bit about the economic situation because I know many of you guys turned to me to do that. Um, and I mean, I've been warning for for about two years now that uh, we were on this unsustainable path and that the printing and borrowing and the artificially low interest rates were building up basically pressure behind a, a, a dam. And that dam, with any increase in interest rates, would crack. And it was already cracking, but now that they're promising a three-quarter point hike in the next week... Uh, I'm referencing the Federal Reserve. That means that the the cracks are actually allowing breakthrough. Uh, so we are seeing many cryptocurrencies that are getting wiped out. I wanted to explain that briefly. Uh, I personally believe many of those projects are trash. So they their value was zero, and they're going to go to zero. So that's just part of a, a you know consolidation of that's what the market's supposed to do. Basically, is that shit projects go bankrupt. And people that invest in bad products also go bankrupt. So a lot of people are going to go bankrupt. And it's sad because many of them were just ignorant. They didn't know what they were investing in. But that's why you don't invest in things you don't understand. So if it was fraud, you know, I feel bad for them. I hope that they can recoup as much as possible through litigation or whatever. But if it was just um, ignorance and trend following, you don't really have anyone to blame but yourself. So... Uh, as for Bitcoin, I, I personally still believe that there's a tremendous amount of uh, utility and, and value in it. And I think that you will see in the coming months, you know, really, really stellar buying opportunities. I mean, I wouldn't even be opposed to dollar cost averaging from here as it drops further. But because I believe that we are in the early stages of a massive economic unwind and a liquidity crisis, I think that you will see lower uh, purchase price or entry points to Bitcoin if you have not dipped a toe yet. Um, and if you are a holder, 
hodl baby. You know, I, I really think that it would be a mistake given that I, I believe ultimately what the Fed will do is they will follow through with many of these interest rate hikes until the system starts to truly implode. And at that point, they will reverse course and they will monetize the debt and they will also lower interest rates again. It's just, that's what they do. Uh, so I don't think that's much of a prediction other than just analyzing what they have done historically and extrapolating into the future. Uh, I think that the the debt in this system is so significant that if they really follow through with those interest rate hikes, you know, two and a half more, uh, two and a half points further over the remainder of this year, which would put mortgage rates north of 8%. Well, at that point, you're going to see a real reckoning in the real estate market. And the reason that you haven't seen it yet is because interest rates have only risen to about 6% over the past six months. I'm referencing 30-year mortgage rates. And ultimately, inventory is still very low, and there's still a lot of market demand. But layoffs are now arriving because of this economic turmoil. You've already seen mass notifications of many, many industries that are laying off tens of thousands of people. When that happens, people can't qualify for loans. So they they don't they no longer qualify as being part of that demand quotient when it comes to real estate because they don't have any capacity to buy. And you have to have both a, a want and a capacity to buy for you to actually amount to any aspect of demand. Uh, so they will no longer matter in that quotient. Um, and that'll allow for buyers to have more say in, in ultimately the price. Uh, I think that sellers will start to soften and, and it could unwind very rapidly. Uh, I don't know that it will because I, I can't, I don't have a crystal ball to say how rapidly and how sincere the fed is in continuing with these promised interest rate hikes. But if they are sincere and if they do follow through come hell or high water, well then look out below. I mean, the real estate market, the stock market, the bond market, everything is going to be a bloodbath like it has been for the past week. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think that they will eventually reverse course. I think they'll get up to, you know, maybe a 3% Fed funds rate. You'll start to see a few companies that you don't even suspect, banks, things of that nature, that go hat in hand to the Fed saying, you're killing us. We're going, we're going bust and we're too big to fail those magic words, and the Fed will ultimately reverse course. Unless they plan on blowing this whole thing up and actually defending the dollar, um, which is a possibility. It's an outside chance. No libertarians want to consider it uh, because we ultimately think that they just they won't have the will and that they're owned by the banks, and I tend to agree, obviously, being a libertarian. But I don't know. I don't know, so I can't say definitively. So I won't. I wanted to talk a little bit uh, also about inflation because there is this narrative that the Biden administration is pushing that is so detached from reality. It's 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 insane. I mean, I think that's a, <laughs> a reasonable way to put it. Um, and he's saying basically he wants he doesn't want to hear about it anymore. He has this crazy rant. I'll, maybe I'll play it for you guys later. Um, their thesis is that global warming is why we have inflation, anti-vaxxers, which made the lockdowns last longer than they should have, we're responsible for inflation. The pandemic, of course, COVID is responsible for inflation. Putin, of 
course, Putin is responsible for inflation. Certainly not the lockdowns, the spending of both political parties over the past couple of years or the past couple of decades, the Federal Reserve or Joe Biden or the Democrat Party. None of those things, the actual things, are the things that we're not even allowed to talk about as to why inflation is persistent and uh, destroying our savings. So I just want you guys to continue to stay on a war footing with this with this topic. Like we cannot lose the narrative on this. Uh, I don't think we will because they're lying. And inflation is, you know, it's true, sir. It's going to trickle into uh, everyone's day-to-day life, and it already is. And it makes it extraordinarily challenging to lie about with narrative control through the media, through po- politicians. Like they can't, it doesn't matter. You know, they, they can try and pass the buck when it comes to blame, but ultimately if people are paying out the ear for, or out the nose for uh, everything, it's kind of tough to keep that charade going very long. You know, you can't, uh, the the arc of this narrative has been, it's not happening. Okay, it is happening, but it's temporary. Okay, maybe it's a little bit more than temporary, but it's a good thing. And now it's a bad thing and we have nothing to do with it. I mean, that, that is really, that's really been the arc of this narrative. And it's just, it's just so transparent. So I think that there's a real opportunity for us to inform people as, you know, you're not crazy and you're not wrong to really be concerned about what's happening. And you're also not analyzing this incorrectly when you say that perhaps the spending is the issue and the borrowing. And I, want, I had a tweet that's going viral right now. It said, uh, no American politician with serious presidential aspirations will make this point, but it's what the American people need to hear most right now. Your financial stability is imploding because we spent money we didn't have blowing up people we didn't need to for the past 50 years. And I know a lot of people get mad when I say we. I'm sure I could say they. I didn't have enough characters, so I had to say we. But I think it also, um, it's kind of populist language. Like it, it, it involves the reader. It makes them be drawn into the point that you're trying to make. And the point I stand by that for 50 years, arguably longer, we have been war profiteering and not for us, the American people, but for the military industrial complex and big business and political interests. And because of that, we have spent an insane amount of money, not including the unfunded liabilities when it comes to care for veterans and a bunch of stuff that's terribly underfunded. Um, on top of that, you also, I mean, it, that's just a perfect narrative to run with from the libertarian side because we get to highlight how insane it is that we get no benefit from all of this murder and we pay a terrible price economically for it. Like, where's where's the upside? Why, why can't we get a populist movement towards ending these wars? Why not? I mean, I think that this is our opportunity to really capitalize on that, to let people know this is, this is why, and it doesn't have to be this way. On top of that, you have all the moral arguments and everything else, which we've had all along, but it didn't work. So I think that unfortunately when the American people start to feel a sense of financial strain 
that they haven't, many of them haven't felt in their entire adult lives, or at least not as starkly, um, other than briefly in 08 through 10. I think this is our opportunity to capitalize on it because like we've always said, the American people probably won't change until they feel the pain of the policies that they've supported. Well, they're feeling them now. And it's our job to make sure that they know why they're feeling them. And it's not, it's not the narrative that the Biden administration is painting or the, even the Republican party is painting because they're going to try and make it seem like this is strictly a Democrat issue. And it's not, this is a bipartisan issue for sure. When it comes to the warmongering, it's a bipartisan issue. And then you have the welfare state, you have Medicare, Medicaid, social security, all of them underfunded, all of them en route to bankruptcy. And you now have an increasing interest rate cycle, which means that the solvency of all of those programs is very much in doubt, very much in doubt. The solvency of the dollar itself is in doubt. So this is our chance. This is our opportunity to really, really hammer home that what we have been advocating for is correct. And now you know it. Now you know it. Good luck proving me wrong as you can't afford to eat or fill up your gas tank. And I know it, it's probably not a good idea to phrase it or frame it in that fashion because people will be, you know, knee-jerk, just upset with you. But it's true. It's true that we've been warning about it. It didn't have to be this way. As Ron Paul said, you know, we don't have to be doing this stuff. It doesn't have to go down like this. But we are so, so far down this path that in some ways all we can do is you know, announce what's actually happening, what is transpiring and why, and try and get as many people to higher ground as possible. If they migrate to cryptocurrencies or if they just become more autonomous in their, their working life, or they grow a garden, they start to trade with uh, neighbors, things of that nature, you know, like there are steps that people can take right now, but it's, that's about it. I mean, beyond that, it's pretty much out of our control as to how the political establishment and the baking uh, cartels decide to manage this implosion or try to manage it. So, sorry, this is all kind of sad news, but, uh, you know, I, I really think that this is, this is what a healthy economy ultimately comes from, is allowing things to blow up that are valueless or overvalued. So I think that the silver lining is any of you out there that have been taking my advice and moving towards liquidity and having uh, cash reserves will have real buying opportunities over the next year, maybe, maybe multiple years. I'm not sure. So for those that did plan, I'm stoked for you. And I hope that you guys can make some life changing investments over the next year or two, because I really think that. If this isn't the end of the dollar, which if the Fed is sincere in fighting inflation, maybe it's not. Maybe we get one more can kicking. Well, after that, boy, oh boy, are you going to want to have hard assets? Like, for sure, you're going to want hard assets. Um, and one, one, other, one final note before we get into the interviews. Uh, Joe Biden announced today that he will be meeting with the monarchs in Saudi Arabia to beg for gas so that he can continue defending democracy in Ukraine. <laughs> We're going to meet with a monarchy, an unelected dictatorship, to get resources which we could produce at home, but we don't because of ESG and the Green New Deal and the Green Agenda. 
and the Build Back Better plan. And uh, we're going to beg, beg a bunch of tyrants for oil and gas so that we can defend democracy in Ukraine. Makes a ton of sense, right? I said, uh, sometimes the Babylon Bee headline really writes itself. Like that one wrote itself. That that is that is just an amazing. It's an amazing series of words that you know. I don't even have to like make the joke. The joke it, it just writes itself. Um, so yeah, we're man. We're ruled by absolute retards and invalids and dangerous, degenerative brain disease having folks. I mean, that's where we're at. Like it or not. Um, fortunately, I think that the people are waking up and I think that that's evident by so many people listening to this show and so many people sharing it. So I really want to thank you guys again for doing that. Um, before we get into the show, I want to thank our sponsor for tonight, which is careerhackers.com. Boy, have I been telling you, have I been telling you? I think I've been telling you, uh, if you are in a position where your job is in doubt, or if you just got laid off this week, um, or you were forced to put something in your body that you didn't want. Sounds like rape, but I don't mean rape. I mean something else, which is actually somehow more bannable on YouTube, which makes no sense. Anyways, uh, go to careerhackers.com, sign up for the daily job hunt, and you will get a free, cost you nothing, and God knows with inflation, anything that's free is a resource you might want to take seriously. Go to careerhackers.com, sign up for the daily job hunt, and get a once daily email newsletter that'll tell you about how to become more financially free more autonomous with your career and how to become a better job applicant so you can go out and get that job where you still have a chance. I would highly recommend you do it immediately because the layoffs will increase in pace. I promise you that it's this is far from over. So take control of your life. Go to careerhackers.com. Let's get into the show. Welcome everybody to another special episode of Liberty Lockdown. It's your humble host, Clint Russell in the building, joined by the Mises Caucus maestro himself, Mr. Michael Heiss. Welcome in, man. Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Anyone ever call you the, the Mises Caucus maestro? Did I? No, that's the first one. Yeah, that's yes. the first time. I'm a fucking wordsmith. And I, um, I love alliteration, too. So, you know, Mises yeah. Maestro. We have MisesBirch.com. <laughs> you know, it works. I love it. Well, so for those that don't know from my audience, which I think most will at this point, because I've done other episodes where I briefly discussed it uh the Mises caucus was a response to the i don't know the insanity of the libertarian party i i don't know how to how best to describe it but regardless uh about 10 days ago now we uh we went to reno nevada and we took every single seat if if i'm not mistaken is it every every single one every seat every yeah. voting seat anyway there's two what's called regional alternates that we didn't get, but they don't yeah. have voting positions under normal circumstances. So I think, I think by most political uh, analysis, that would be considered a landslide. Did it go as well as you, you had thought? It was an a landslide mixed with an avalanche. <laughs> so, somewhere in between. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was a weird sensation because um, you know, day one, we didn't get anything done basically and and we have this mises caucus bash on friday night and it's like we're celebrating the takeover that hasn't happened and i'm not gonna lie to you i was nervous i was nervous as hell oh. that we were gonna wake up saturday and be oh, like i was oh, i was nervous too but there was one big thing that did happen on friday that was really important that didn't happen in the main hall um hmm. you know because what it was was 
So the structure of the Libertarian National Committee is you got chair, vice chair, secretary, treasurer. You have five uh, what are called at-large members. So the body in full elects them. But then you've got what's called eight regional uh, uh, representatives. So like mm-hmm. the party, all the states are broken up into eight regions. Um, and th- those regions elect um, their own representatives. So they aren't voted on at large. They're voted on by the delegates that comprise um, the states within that region. So <clears throat> prior to the bash, like, cause I was nervous too. We can get into that. Like why? <laughs> but um, cause I was nervous too. At that point, we were kind of shook that maybe we had lost the room, uh, which would have been a disaster. But, but uh, uh Later on that day, you had these regional caucuses, and six out of the eight were voted on on Friday night, and we swept all of them. And that was like, okay, we got this. Like, this is yeah. done. Because, okay. like, the, the way the demographics shift when you're doing region versus at large, you know, there was a there was two region reps that we weren't sure, like, we might win or we might not. You know, it's going to be competitive, and we swept all of them. So like that's okay. when we were like, oh yeah, this is ours. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. a done deal. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're we're watching these incredible speeches on Friday night, and we're basically like Maj is even up there, you know, challenging us, telling us, you know, y- y- y'all are gonna take a bag of money and w- walk away from this thing. And I was like, holy shit, he's he's already like warning about being overly, uh, I don't know, overly happy. And and we haven't even won yet at that point. So it was a, I- it was a very strange experience. Well, I wouldn't even say overly happy. I mean, you know, we've had these conversations internally, but, you know, some of the stuff he's been saying, he was saying in that talk, which was great, um, you know, I've been saying from the beginning, it's like, you know, libertarians, we're so used to getting our asses kicked all the time that we've we've lost sight of what is going to happen if we become successful. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's going to get real, real, real quick. Um, You know, if we become successful, if we actually put a scare into warmongers, you know, and weapons manufacturers and the media and all this stuff. Yeah, it's going to get wild. It's going to get wild. And and people need to, uh, you know, Maj is right. Like people need to reconcile themselves with the implications of some of this stuff. You know what I mean? Like there will be bribes. There will be threats. You know, how many friends of Hillary Clinton are dead? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, and it, it's all it's, of them. It's, fu- it's funny right now because, like, we kind of just established the win of taking over the party, and it's like this kind of small base that we have to build up from. But you know, if we are right and true, and we have the right strategy, and and we do become successful ten years from now, it might not be so funny. You know what I mean? No. Like, and, and oh, I agree. Yeah. Uh, no, I I took. I mean, I took his speech to heart, and. And I was thrilled that he gave it. I, I the only reason I thought it was funny is just because we hadn't taken over at that point. So that that was what made, made me feel like, oh man, we better we better bring it home tomorrow. So uh, fortunately, we did, and and I guess the the rest is history. But um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about you know what what this means now. You know, like what what can we actually accomplish given that we have the predominant voting power within the Libertarian Party. So I think it's going to take some time. There's going to have to be some reformation. There's going to have to be some uh, bureaucratic clearing out. Like, what are they called? Vultures or whatever? Like, when when people go into dying businesses. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, shark, or not sharks. You probably know the term. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, vulture capitalist is what a lot of people refer to them as. Yeah, that's kind of the mission right now in the short term. Now, that's not the caucus's mission, but the people that just got elected, like... 
Yeah, that's that's good. They're, they're going to have to unravel the bureaucracy. They're going to have to unravel the archaic and outdated uh, uh, processes and, and implement some new technology and implement, you know, some fresh ideas and all of that. Um, but I think once you get all of that humming and clicking, um, you know, the framework is there for for us to kind of get to that point where where the uh, the threats of violence against us become not funny, because like um I truly think that we are in an unprecedented, we as libertarians, generally speaking, are in an unprecedented time in our history in that we have more of a, an ability to, to reach people than we have ever had before. You know, and I, I know. and people have been saying this for a long time, you know, just with the advent of the Internet and the advent of social media. I'm talking about way beyond that. The thing that I'm talking about specifically is that the paradigm of the media is dead. Mm -hmm. And and what has replaced it is this patchwork of podcasts that that are all coming together and obviously the biggest one of them is Joe Rogan. Well, Dave is good friends with Joe Rogan gets on there. You know, you got Tim Pool. You know, I made this comparison elsewhere. It's like I'm pretty sure the the, the biggest news show on cable television is uh Tucker Carlson. I believe he gets like 3.3 million watchers per episode and that's all well and good and that's great. But I'm pretty sure Tim Pool gets more than that. You know, let alone well, Joe with, Rogan. With with audio downloads, he might. Um, in terms of views, it's it's far less. But with uh, with audio downloads, when you put it all I, together. When you put yeah. all of his, yeah, when you put it all together, I, I think he he even beats him. So like, and then the other thing that's interesting is because you got the podcasts that we know that are moving in our direction that we have access to. That's your Joe Rogan's, your Patrick Beck David's, your your Joe Rogan's, all this stuff, uh, Tim Pool. But then you've got what I'm going to call the unknown unknowns. You know, like. <laughs> and a good example of this is like Maj Touré hit me up the other day. I was like, yo, man, I just did a, a, a podcast with Mike Rashid. I had never heard of Mike Rashid before. I don't know anything about this guy. So I looked him up and he's a black dude that runs like a, a fitness-based uh, YouTube channel with a million and a half subscribers. And Maj wow. somehow got an interview with this dude and the whole thing was about libertarianism. You know what I mean? Nice. And, and so who knows how many podcasts are out there that have like that 1 million, 3 million, 2 million, you know, oh, that, yeah. that, that we can tap into. And, and all of these, the, the thing about these podcasts is they're all long format. You know, you don't just get like a 30 second or two minute soundbite. You can actually, you know, have iron sharpening iron, you know, going back and forth, really fleshing these things out and, and, and really get people uh, in depth on, on what we're about and how we can solve the problems of today's world with, with what we think. And the mm -hmm. other thing that's exciting is you take the collective of all of these podcasts together and they all seem to be, generally speaking, what I'm going to say, pro-liberty. Now, am I saying they're all like, you know, Rothbardian anarchists? Yeah. No. No, of course not. But the past two years, like two and a half years with the COVID regime, with the lockdowns, with the, the COVID passports, with the inflation, you know, I think the scales have fallen from the eyes of a lot of people. I think the veneer of like tyranny couldn't happen here. I think that's gone. Um, and, and people it better are be for, my God. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and I think people are looking for answers and I think the podcasters who kind of command these audiences are also looking for answers and the, and the libertarian party to this point has kind of failed to address them or failed to provide them with, with an alternative or failed to get their trust yep. that all can change now. And, and so I think we're going to find out within the next three to five years, whether or not our ideas are sellable. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And it's going to be the first time that we actually get a real legit opportunity to sell them. And, and I think that one thing we haven't discussed yet, but I'm sure you're privy to, is that uh, I think that the the economic 
chickens are coming home to roost right now. And and if, uh, as you're well aware, the Ron Paul revolution took place, you know, right after the 0809 yep. collapse. I think that the Dave Smith or whoever ends up being the Mises Caucus, you know, Libertarian Party <laughs> presidential candidate, uh, I think that he will once or he or she will once be once again be operating within that that realm of economic calamity where people are finally reassessing every single thing that they've been told about how an, how an economy should function, how a government should print, borrow, spend, all of these things. And it's like, we are the only people with the answer. We have the answer. Are yeah. you ready to listen? And I exactly. hope that they will be. Exactly. And we're we're the only people, especially as necessity and libertarians, that have the right answers on money. And, and you know, when you've got a communicator like Dave, who can kind of, you know, he's people want to downplay, oh, he's a, he's a comedian. But the comedian element gives him superpowers to be able to reach normal people. Of course. You know, and that's, and, not, uh, that's not a negative. That's a positive. That's an incredible positive. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, they somehow have money to back up Ukraine to go to war with Russia, but we have a, a shortage of baby formula here at home. You know what I mean? And you can kind of make all of these connections about, oh, yeah. you know, I think, I think the appetite for, for new war anyway is gone. There might be kind of a ignorant resignation about the drone bombings and stuff like that. But I think if you were to kind of let people know about, yeah, we've dropped this many bombs. It's, it's costing this much money. You have to, you know, you don't have baby formula again, you know, like, right. um, you can't I think afford we can gas kind of to, get to, to get to work. Yeah. I mean, exactly. If we can actually connect the dots on the economic pain that the American people are experiencing and, and tie that into the militarism, I think that will that will give us a real opportunity to to reignite the anti-war movement in this country. Tie it into the militarism, but tie it into again the the old LP treated the word populism like a four-letter word. Oh yeah, you know, crazy. and 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 we understand that that is a vein that you have to tap. That populism, in and of itself, is not a bad thing. It can be aimed at bad things, but but we're trying to aim it at liberty, and yeah. and I think this is kind of one of the things that animated the Ron Paul revolution and all the ingredients, as you touched on, are there to animate it again, to point it towards liberty, kind of get that new understanding. But unlike the Ron Paul revolution, we have this revolution in, in you know, the media and like the disintegration of the media and how people are uh, getting and disseminating their ideas. And that, I think, is like totally unprecedented. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was on uh, Tinfoil Hat with Sam Tripoli yesterday explaining ESG and explaining, um, you know, why the Federal Reserve it has enabled and created the BlackRock State Street vanguards of the world, which, um, you know, the populist left all, all rail against, but they don't really, uh, they can't connect the dots to the central banks because they've been told that that's a good thing. So like I am, I'm talking to God knows probably a couple hundred thousand people just yesterday and I'm not Dave, you know, but that's, that's kind of the, the point about incredible the the networking capability that we now have it's it's so powerful uh, i mean i really don't think people understand how many people we can reach uh how many people dave in particular can reach but all of us i mean all of us have outsized speaking platforms compared to what we did just a few years ago it's really remarkable right and and not only do we have access but because the 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 heads of these platforms the the hosts of these shows and all of that because they are speaking to these issues, they are addressing and against the COVID regime and all this stuff, they're actually being pulled our way. And I want to draw a distinction between being interviewed by somebody and being interviewed by somebody who legitimizes you. 
So as, as these people more and more come our way, as we address the problems that they are trying to answer for their audiences, the relationships between us and them grow. And it's not just a passive interview. It's a, no, we're friends. We're colleagues in liberty. We want the same shit, generally speaking. And, and so then they are bestowing that legitimacy on us, which then transfers over to their audience. And this is like a subtle little thing that, that I don't think a lot of people think about. You know, mm -hmm. like, like if I get on Joe Rogan, that would be, you know, that would be, well, one, it would be scary, but two, it would be really cool, but I'm not Joe Rogan's friend. You know what right. I mean? Like Dave is Joe Rogan's friend and that can kind of transcend the interview. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that that's, that's the cool thing about this is that, you know, I, I now have dozens of people that I genuinely consider friends that I have. It's all, it's all via networking. It's all via guesting on other shows and them guesting on mine and, and vice versa, and and it really does create um, a community, and, and and it's and as you said, it's not a Misesian libertarian community per se, but it is a liberty-minded community, and it is vast. I mean, it is yeah. so vast. I, the conspiracy theory realm of the Sam Tripolis of the world, they they now are are privy. I mean, they're bringing up the Mises Caucus, and they're bringing up Dave Smith <sighs> just because I'm on. You know, like that's, yeah, that's powerful. And that's not something I necessarily expected, but I'm experiencing it more and more. And that just tells me like, we are in the ether, you know, like we are, we are resonating in this, in this scene. And, and it's, I mean, couldn't have been better timing. We, we absolutely need it right now. It's almost, I mean, I, I think about that a lot. It's almost, uh, I'm going to use the word archetypal, the timing. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're arriving at a crescendo of all of these issues and right at that time, the Misesi and Ron Paulers come back and take the party would have the answers and understand populism. And, you know, we can start to shed the image that we're fucking simps for uh, corporations because the only answer we have is, well, it's a private corporation. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, and all of this kind of stuff. And yeah, we're moving and, past that very aggressively. <laughs> yeah. Well, we need to, I mean, we're yeah. idiots to not have done it at th to this point. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, 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 uh, um, you know, and get some, fresh energy and some marketing in here because if we get some real marketing in here some people who really know what to do like to do um you know multi-tiered marketing and and kind of form up funnels to hit all of these different audiences because there is not i can't think of a single demographic other than like completely woke progressives that that um i can't think of a single demographic that's not themselves being fucked with you mm -hmm. know what i mean and and like looking for answers and that is a, if they that is enough for us to kind of go to them and form up a funnel. Now, it might this might have to be done along many domains, but that's the job of a marketer. You know, you got all these moms who are super pissed off and skeptical of, of um, you know, public schooling and the school system because, you know, their kids were being forced masks. They were trying to, their kids were being forced injected, you know, like all of this stuff. And then I think that's a huge movement that, you know, there was these huge floods into school board meetings and we're rediscovering the primacy of local level elections as, as the thing that really matters and local level politics that really matters, you know, so and how school board get... meetings too. Exactly. And it's like, so how, you know, that is a group of people that is prime for us because how long have libertarians been saying it's indoctrination, it's indoctrination. You're being, being educated by your enemy, you know? And, and so we can basically... The basic framework that we need to do, and it's something that I want to work on, is go to influencers in these different groups. It could be the gun community. It could be school skeptics. It could be food freedom people. It could be you name it. Um, and, and the basic framework is, all right, listen, we want you involved. We want to help you solve this problem. 
we need to stay who we are as libertarians, but we also need to provide a value to you. Mm -hmm. What are you looking for? What does that value look like? What would make the Libertarian Party interesting to you? How can we give you a platform within the Libertarian Party? If you go along all these different domains and start to drive those funnels, um, especially with influencers, you're going to get a whole shitload of people in, and then you can funnel that down to local level activism, local level mm -hmm. nullification efforts, local level school board races, local, you know, you name it. And, and you start to really uh, plant a lot of seeds that will sprout. And I think the, the effect of this in the long term is, you know, we talk a lot about uh, how the left has captured all the institutions and that kind of comprises the cathedral and the cathedral is kind of uh, using its influence and its money to capture the state and aim the same for aim the state for their desired ends. Um, sure. And but the thing is, is that in an organic sense, culture doesn't come from the top down. Right. That's why they have to invest so much money and, and that's why they have to control the algorithms and that's why they have to, you know what I mean? Like control all the critics. Like that's, it's, it's all fake. It's all a veneer. It's the matrix. It's, it's, it's all to make you think that it's real, but mm -hmm. culture in an organic sense emerges up from the family through the community, you know? Right. And, and so when you're dealing at that local level, the culture is what you're dealing with. So if you start to get mass funneling in working at that level, who knows the cumulative long-term network effect of that in in the in the well, in long term yeah well and and your point about culture is really key because uh i what i think people forget is that the culture is counter by net by by nature like it, it's it's going to go against whatever the mainstream narrative is normally you know and and you're going to have a, a countercultural push when you have a very strong top-down uh you know technocratic state it's going to be more liberty-minded because people are going to be feeling oppressed and suppressed by the uh, the structures that they exist under. So they're naturally going to start to like go, well, maybe we shouldn't be living like this. So like, like the counterculture now, in my opinion, is one of anti-wokeness and of anti-cancel culture yep. and of anti-statism to a large extent. And And I think that that is, I mean, if we don't capitalize on that, God for God, God forgive us. I mean, it is it is just yeah. it is it is so ripe. And what's so beautiful about it is that the culture that exists today is at an exhaustion point where they are truly becoming exhausted with the cancel culture. You you could witness it. I, I know you said that you haven't been uh, you know paying attention to current events too much because you've been so busy. But there's uh, this entire civil war that's happening within the Washington Post where these these fellow uh, writers yeah, fill me for, in on that. Yeah, these fellow writers for WAPO are essentially tearing each other to shreds over like, you know, microaggressions and bullshit online. And and one of them was trying to get her coworker fired, even though he had supported her a year ago when she had said some crazy shit right after Kobe Bryant had died. And and now she just got fired yesterday. And it was all because he retweeted a joke that was from Cam Harless, which is like one of our people within the libertarian community. It's all it's all so yeah, it's all so insane, right? And uh but but the point being is that you know the the culture itself is so exhausted by these people trying to dictate how we live our lives and trying to tell us that we're we're evil racist or whatever and uh, and I just think it's it's great. I mean, it's just an it's an amazing it's, time to be alive. It's very scary, but it's also an amazing time to be alive. It's it's to me it's 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 absolutely amazing, and for for several reasons. Like like I saw somebody, you know, I won't name names, but like somebody who is a is a state chair in the Libertarian Party or one of the state Libertarian parties yesterday say like, 
anti-wokeism is not pro-liberty. And it's like, you don't get it. If we don't get in and capture that, we are that that anti-woke audience, we are competing with right-wing reactionaries. So if we don't go in there and and with the message of decentralization is the way to defuse the culture war, the right the right-wing reactionaries are going to win and want to destroy the left, left. which will produce in more government and more violence and more distrust and more separation and all of this crazy shit instead of unless we can get in there suck the air out of that and say no man the answer is just liberty it's just decentralization like you can have your progressive hellhole over here just leave us alone and <laughs> and you know and you know they don't they don't get this and like this is another paradigm in the libertarian party that is so exciting to see change it's the key problem with with like that is encapsulated with the joe jorgensen campaign it's like mm -hmm. you know joe jorgensen to her credit plumb line libertarian you know like she like <laughs> principally yeah but the problem with her is that she doesn't understand the things that we're talking about. We, she doesn't understand that, like, you have to nail the narrative before you can sell people on the ideas. People don't act out the premise that they they go from ideas first and then work backwards and shape the narrative from that. They accept a narrative and then form everything from that. So, like, mm -hmm. we have to shape the narrative. And and this gets into, like, the respectability chasing that the, that the LP has done. It's like... We have been beholden to the regime narrative for so long and people get like, well, what do you mean? She's still saying end the Fed. She's still saying, you know, end taxes and taxation and stuff. That's all true. But again, the narrative is what keeps the regime alive because mm -hmm. we, we as libertarians, we talk a lot about the nature of the state being force. And that's true. Um, and, and force and violence and all of that. However, that is their while that is their nature that fact is basically the iron fist that is hidden beneath the velvet glove and the velvet glove is essentially mind control and the mind control is algorithmic control to make it look like insanity is normal it's right. it's it's the media to make it look like insanity is normal it's shaping of the narrative to make it look like none of this stuff that's happening that's huge like what you just talked about with wapo and all that stuff is not happening it's it's to make it look like that there is a unified vision a unified narrative that they control and they dictate that's all aimed towards their ends you have to and and because then they ex, uh the the mind control is first and if yeah. that fails then they'll they'll take off the 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 velvet club and 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 you know put you down but but um but that is how we have to pierce first we have to pierce that narrative and this is something that apparently generally speaking only us younger people who are a little bit more accustomed to the internet and all that understand but that is now something that is going to be understood by the libertarian party for the first time maybe in its history yeah and i think that this goes back to your point about how they were respectability seeking you know how they were trying to get in good with the media and get in good with the existing political establishment and and I think that you and I and a handful of others realized years ago, it was like the people, the, the countercultural movement in this country is one of fuck those people. So yeah. so for us to seek respectability with them is to say fuck us. It's completely counter to what we're trying to accomplish. It's stupid. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's that's what I'm most excited about with the Mises Caucus takeover is that that is. That is everything. We have to stop worrying about the Southern Poverty Law Center writing letters about us and all this shit. It's it's like it's like that isn't that isn't the game, folks. If anything, that is an inevitable part of victory. Like we are going to be labeled 
all the worst things and that and and the better we do the worse the labels will get and you have to know it you have to expect it and you have to almost embrace it and that's what i'm doing is i'm just embracing it like, you have me whatever you want yeah 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 and, and and again this is like a key difference you know people in the old paradigm of the party would be like well well the media is going to attack us and and we can't have that it's like you don't understand the media you don't understand the role of the media of society you don't understand that the media is just as much of the enemy as the state itself you know what yep. I mean? There is no good coverage. Like, there's this silly idea of like, well, you know, if I have a good candidate and I write just the right press release and I have just the good points, you know, they'll give me some fair coverage because I deserve it. And that's what they do. They're educators. They're informers. Right. And it's like, no, dude, they're all fucking propagandists. Like, <laughs> like they they are the matrix coders of the narrative to point into the, the direction of the regime. So, like, the only way that we're going to get media is, is one of two ways. Hate. Or, and this is what they did with Gary Johnson until it backfired, is to use us to bring about their preferred ends. That's it. Right, Those are the only two right. options. And Correct. and like what I mean by that is like, you know, people remember the whole, oh, you know, what is Aleppo thing. But what they don't remember is that prior to that, that happening, relatively speaking, Gary Johnson was getting consistent and solid media coverage. Why is that? Why, why is he, why did he get so much more media coverage than Joe Jorgensen? Well, I could tell you, cause I was paying attention at the time and there was a lot of infighting to where people didn't see this. The conventional wisdom is that the libertarian candidate is going to hurt the Republican more than the, than the Democrat. It's actually not true. Like it really does pull pretty evenly. It can, mm -hmm. depending on the libertarian. Of course. But Johnson in the polls was actually hurting Hillary Clinton more than Trump. And then I remember the Hill and Politico put out articles about how this was happening that's when they aleppoed him that's when the fangs uh -huh. came out he was he, he unwittingly he didn't realize it but he was being a t used as a tool to siphon trump votes to help hillary until it backfired and they found that that it was that and then they had to make him out to be a fucking idiot and yep. and take him out uh, i mean it makes perfect sense though i mean that and and you you absolutely nailed it i mean if if we are to get any coverage like say dave were to run that they're going to basically just be using him to try and um undermine say it's trump that's running again or something like that like that that's going to be the 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 reason that he gets any quote-unquote fair coverage but i mean your your point about um you know respectability it's like if if that were the game if that was even on offer then the joe jorgensen campaign would have gotten fair coverage because they were doing the woke shit they were doing everything to to like be accepted by the mainstream and, and it guess what didn't matter it didn't right. matter so you and also the media is still to some extent besides being propagandist they're ratings driven joe jorgensen wasn't a draw she's Correct. not they didn't no no one wanted to hear from her so it was like they didn't have to give any coverage fair or otherwise with her campaign because it was she was just a non-entity non-entity it was like she didn't even exist and i think that that's the worst possible outcome is that we have like I would rather get negative coverage than none, you know. Like that's that's my honest opinion. Obviously, oh, I would prefer. For sure. I would prefer the coverage be positive, but I'll, like I'll I'll take negative too. Anything other all than you're going to get radio silence. Yeah, yeah. All, you, the assumption should be that all you're going to get is negative. Exactly. Uh, and 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 here's the thing though is that with this knowledge, with this understanding of the like that the media is not there to inform us; it's there to propagandize and mind control us so that we socially enforce the regime on each other. Um, when you understand that, that again gives you a superpower. Um, because and and this is what Trump did, 
Um, the better example that I like to use is Jordan Peterson, though, because what mm. happens is they are such committed and malevolent liars that they are never able to admit they're wrong. They're never able to admit that they're lying. So they like they only have one method. They only, like like one me like method of being or method of uh, uh, attack. So mm -hmm. what that does, what that allows us to do is to understand that and use that fact as like a bull and matador. You know what right. I mean? So Dave, you know, Dave can go out there and hit the left from the left. That might draw their ire. He counters with, you know, you're talking about uh, uh, an N-word joke that I made eight years ago. Meanwhile, there's about a million brown people dead because of your propaganda. Fuck you. You know what I mean? And that is some hardcore populist energy. And, <laughs> and um, you know, and they'll, they'll, instead of just saying, oh, man, he got us, they're going to say, double down, eight more articles, you know, and, and just stupidly uh, keep doing it. And, and this is, yep. this very effect is what got Trump elected. It, what, it's what, it, it's what propelled Jordan Peterson to become like an international cultural icon. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, we can ride that wave too, but you gotta be willing to take the hits. You gotta be willing to be called a <gasps> racist, you know, like, yeah. and, and you have to be willing to do that. And if you can't, then you don't understand what, what the media is. Yep. No, I, I think you're exactly right. And, and, uh, the the one good thing about the media is that they're pretty predictable you know you it once you once you actually understand how it functions not the not not the narrative that they spin about how they're they will shame racists and they will <laughs> they will uplift good people like it, it, once you realize that has nothing to do with what they're actually doing well then you can actually play it you can actually pivot when when they're when they're coming with the attacks you use that to capitalize on marketing you know, you get to actually speak yep. in that moment because people are finally paying attention to you. And and I like I read the I read the Southern Poverty Law Center article and and I think they came out with a second one shortly after. I read I also the Cato coverage of the Mises Caucus. Oh, sorry, the connection's a little shoddy. You I back? see you. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. Um and then also the the Cato coverage of the Mises Caucus takeover of the LP was like i mean it was borderline a hit piece too and then you do you mean reason you see, uh was it reason okay my bad i was yeah. gonna say because cato might have and i don't know and i would like to see it so <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i always forget who who i'm reading but um uh, and then uh tim cast uh, you know like his uh irl cast came out with um a really fair deep dive about the takeover so it's like it's it's interesting because there's there's still all of the cathedral operatives that are going to get that are going to be very predictable but then there's all these new avenues that are going to be uh giving us really fair coverage so i think that like we need to just kind of not worry about it and just nope. just yeah. go just speak speak the truth tell tell uncomfortable truths wake like allow allow the media to hate us and and don't like like you were talking about earlier it's like populism isn't it's like it's true like a, a four-letter word but it, it's it's as long as you maintain, as long, as long as you maintain your principles, it's just a tool, right? Yeah, it's it's what it's aimed at. You know, there's yeah. a reason. It, it's not it's not an a thing in in um, unto itself. There's a reason why it's employed by Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders and Ron Paul. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not an ideology in and of itself. It's a it's a method of communication. You right. know, so it, it it what what it is is not good or bad. It's it's a it's something it's that helps tool. you aim. Yeah. It's it's like a gun. 
<laughs> you know, it, you can use exactly. it. You can use it for good or for for evil. Um, so let's uh, let's get into you know what what the next couple years looks like, man. I mean, I I know you already kind of laid out the groundwork a little bit as to the the funnels that we'll be creating through all these different um, you know secondary media outlets that we can kind of funnel people into state level activism. Uh, beyond that, what's what what else is the uh, the overarching game plan? So you got what you're what I call your horizon goals, like your goals that are kind of out there a little bit, and then you got like what we've got to do right now, and then you've got the connecting goals to those two things. Um, so in, in order to let me explain what what is the caucus's like three prong strategy to kind of explain what the immediate goals are. The three prong sure. strategy that we have is. Um, it's party organizing, it's issue coalitions aimed at the local level, and it's local level candidates. Now, party organizing, that is recruitment. It's getting people to join particularly their state parties. It's it's getting them to create county level parties if they don't have one, making sure that they're going to their county level parties, getting involved, um, you know, organizing for state and national conventions, all of that stuff. And that is what has gotten all of the attention. You know, people like to pretend that we don't even do the other stuff. Now, I'll admit, like 80% of the effort has gone into that, uh, the party organizing stuff, but it's because, you know, up until almost two weeks ago, it was hard to recruit. You know, you would have to basically recruit and be like, Hey man, yeah, join the party. Just do me a favor. Don't go into any of their Facebook groups. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't pay any attention to anything the leadership does and don't look at any of the messaging. That's a hard sell. <laughs> yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, and <laughs> it's like, For sure. um, and, uh, but that is, but those impediments to growth are gone now, you right. know, and, and, and so, you know, we had to do that. There was a culture of corruption and accepting corruption and being passive about corruption and purges and all of this stuff that was coming from the top down that had to be taken out. It just had to be. So yeah. now that that's over, we can start to flatten out the effort along the, uh, the three prong strategy and go from what I would call war mode into maintenance mode. Um, so the other two prongs, you know, we'll start with issue coalitions. Um, again, this is aimed at the local level primarily. So, what, and it's and anybody can do it. That's the thing. You don't even have to be in the Mises Caucus. Anybody can do this. It's just going, starting to go to your city council meetings, starting to to kind of take stock of the demographics in your area. You know, are you in a like me personally? I'm in a, a highly, highly blue town. Um, you know, and so what I did was I, you know, went around a little bit. I, I saw that the Democratic Party of Pennsylvania has weed legalization on their platform. Talked to the chief of police, found out weed isn't decriminalized here in Norristown, which is like very Democrat, you know. And mm. and and so I started going to city council meetings. I started talking to people. I got some time to speak, and you know, I I spoke my libertarian shit on why we should, uh, you know, decriminalize weed here in town. But then I also hit the left from the left and basically said, why is it taking a random libertarian person to come in here? And, and do what's on your platform, what's popular with your people. Every one of you on this board is a Democrat. Everybody in this room is a Democrat. This is a slam dunk. What are you doing? Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and here's a legislation. There's no excuses, you know? Yeah. And, and, and so now it's decriminalized. And now I'm working on oh, psychedelics. Beautiful. You know, now I'm working on psychedelics in my town, which if that happens is nuts because we don't have legal weed in this state. And, <laughs> and um, I actually have like a city councilor and a former state senator uh, interested. But my point is, is you want to try to find the deep, like within your county, you want to try to find the deepest reds and the deepest blues, and then exploit the fact that, you know, conserve rank and file conservatives or rank and file progressives, you know, on the right, 
you might have rank and file conservatives that really do care about their gun rights and they really are principled at least on that one issue um and the same thing on the left you know they write they really might be uh passionate about drug decriminalization or whatever but then they're not being delivered on by the political class so then we can come in and, and exploit the gap and and basically be uh uh, the catalyst to these things and start to yeah. push their envelope and challenge them. And and I think what happens here is, A, you get these nullification efforts, so you expand liberty in the real world. And, but, and then, you know, I've heard some people say, well, you don't need the Libertarian Party to do that. And that's true, but, there's, but here's why you want to do it within the Libertarian Party. Because when you do it within the Libertarian Party, collectively, like the efforts all put together, we are now growing brand recognition, but not just brand recognition, brand trust. And I truly believe that that trust is the key component to society. It is the thing that holds us together. And there's a lot of forms of trust that that we don't even think about. You know, you share the road with pilotable missiles with absolutely deranged progressives. And you don't <laughs> right. even think about it. You know what I mean? And 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 by, so by like, cars, by cars is what you mean, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And 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 um and you don't even think about it. And and that trust that holds society together through the culture war and the growing power of the state that the culture war is fighting over is being eroded more and more and more. So the more, I, I also believe that until we start to grow our trust, we can't really have the conversations because we're an outsider, you know, I, and how many, like how many times have you talked to somebody, you make all the right points, you make, you have all the data, you have all the logic, you have all the facts, but it just doesn't pierce. And it doesn't pierce because that person is already in an in-group. Okay, and and they are validated within that in group, and and we're social animals. There's no avoiding it. You know, like it's it's rare that somebody is willing to take the social pain of leaving the in group for you know ideological reasons or, or principal reasons. So what we have to do is basically infiltrate these in groups, become the catalyst to something that they want, gain that trust. Then you start to have the avenue to be like. Well, you know, the same thing that led me to do this here is the same thing as the drug right, you know, or the you know, your your self-ownership over here and blah blah blah. And and you know, now as an individual in one town, is that gonna be a big deal? No. But go back to what I was saying before. We form these funnels with all these podcasters, we form these funnels with all of these um issue groups, we form these funnels with influencers. You get a massive amount of national uh uh uh, uh recruitment. Funnel them down in this local action. So what if this happens a thousand times? Yep. You know what I mean? Like, and 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 then I think you really start to see the the, the trust grow. And again, culture emerges up from the community. So you start to like. I don't know if I'm piecing all the the like the, if I'm painting the picture over here, but oh, like no, I get, it, it I starts it. to come together. So like yeah. that's the issue coalitions prong, and then the other one is candidates. Um. But again, we want to focus on local level. So specifically, city council, sheriff, mayor, judge, school board, uh, positions that if one could nullify, yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 could work on that decentralization. So I think if you put that all together, um, you know, you 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 got to, as far as I'm concerned, the only real viable pathway moving forward. Yeah. So that's yeah, what we want to do. And go ahead. You definitely have you definitely have something there, and I think that your your point about trust being, you know, kind of the foundational bedrock of society is so, so key. And I, I think that's why we kind of feel like, I don't know about you, but I certainly feel as if, you know, civilizationally we're kind of falling apart. And, yeah. and I think it's, it's, 
it's interesting because like it's kind of a it's a necessary thing like we need people to not trust the media we need people not to trust politicians but ultimately i would like to get back to a point where there is some trust amongst the american people or, or people generally because it's like the, otherwise we're at each other's throats it's very hard to do business or you know have any sort of community if you don't have some level of trust and and because there is such a a lack of trust from the institutions that exist today we can capitalize on that by saying well we're going to build trust with you like what the like you were yes. talking about where you're in a hard blue city and you have full you know democrat control and yet they're not accomplishing anything that they're that their voters want and it's like well then the libertarian party comes in and and we go you know, you've been demanding pot legalization for 30 years and in six months we got it done. Like, do you really consider yourself a Democrat still? Like, and, and at that point, if you have say, you know, 10% of the people locally that start to really talk about libertarians as if like, Hey, these, these guys get shit done. Like the Democrats that we've been voting for and begging and pleading with to get stuff done, they don't get anything done. These guys come out of nowhere, they get shit done. And now all of a sudden it's like, it's a much more positive outlook. Yeah, we got we got drag queens at nap time in, in fucking first grade, but we don't have legal weed. Like, what the fuck is going on here? You know what I mean? Like, we're not getting the things that we really want. So, yeah. So, and then the other thing, this isn't one of the three prongs per se, but the other thing that I, I really want to uh, scale up and 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 do moving forward is um, investing in more events slash culture building. You know, we we did a pilot. We did one event last year, and we considered it a pilot program for what we want to turn into our college outreach and recruitment program. Um, and the, and the idea is called the Take Human Action Tour. And the idea is that we get the all store the all stars of our movement who are speaking about the issues that really matter to us, um, and put them in college campuses, work with student groups. To, to kind of populate them, make it free to attend for those students. Everybody else is going to have to pay, sorry, but make it free to, to, to attend for those students. Um, you know, and have Tom Woods talking to these kids about secession, have Michael Bolden talking to them about nullification, you know, have Bob Murphy talking to them about Austrian economics and, you know, Maj about the history of gun control and Michael Rechtenwald talking about the, the, the academic history of wokeism, which is really just uh, a, Chimaira-like mishmash of postmodernism and and Marxism, mm -hmm. um, and and uh, you know get people thinking about this, and then use that not just as a as an educational outreach, but a recruiting funnel. And then you know we could do an after party at a bar where we're singing and doing karaoke and drinking and partying, and 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 again, you put all this stuff together, and it starts to enrich and 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 uh, tighten up that culture. So like we want to to build that up because my observation over the course of this project is that, you know, there's a lot of debates in Liberty world about like, well, should we do the LP or should we do the GOP or maybe it's agorism and none of that. I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but it's completely secondary. Um, in my opinion, this is my, my big observation. That stuff is secondary to building a, a community and a community is not just some loosely affiliated group of people with more or less the same political philosophy. That's not what a community is. A community is, you know, a group of people that give a shit about each other, that enjoy each other's company, that enjoy working together on in some endeavor and, and have fun together and are willing to go to the barricades for each other. And we have that. Like, we, right. we absolutely have that. Um, and it's been insane to watch just manifest and grow as time goes on. But um, so we yeah. need to foster that and, and grow that.
No, totally. I, I remember Sunday night after everything was finally done and we do this karaoke and, and everybody, because I'm like the only known, per, or not the only, but one of a handful of known people that was at this event. And people just keep fucking putting my name down to sing karaoke <laughs> with them. So I'm like up there singing Elton John and Rage Against the Machine and I'm doing it like... And, and it's just, it's a, it was a beautiful experience. I mean, it was super nerdy and it was ridiculous, but it was, it was a blast. And, um, you know, I, I love, I love the community aspect of it. I, I love the, the people that are involved with this stuff. It, it, it definitely, you know, because we do kind of have so many third rail political ideas, um, when you find a room filled with people that like, and no one's going to think you're crazy for talking about peaceful secession, it's like, okay, well, all of a sudden, uh, I, I feel at home, you know, and, and it's so rare to feel at home when you're, I'm watching anything on the TV and I disagree with 90% of it. And I, you know, I'm listening to things on the radio and I disagree with 90% of it. All of a sudden I, I agree with 90% of these, these people on things. And, and your point about what well, it being secondary as to which, which path we're going to focus on. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's like, like it's, it's so cart before the horse and ultimately like we don't have time to continue to fight each other like that that's really how i feel about it i'm like i don't i don't want to fight with you guys like i have i the my savings are being drained day after day this this month there was a one percent inflation print that means an annualized 12 percent. and this is government figures this is not yep. fucking shadow stats this is government figures we're on we're on track for double digit inflation this year it's like we is we it just housing not even isn't housing like not even built into the CPI? I don't think so. Yeah. Right. There's a there's a bunch of key measures that are not even in there. Now, I, I do want to say that in my own defense, you know, because like I, while I will say, yes, the, the argument of which strategy is right is second to the, uh, the community. I just want to say I'm just saying that the fact that it was this project that produced the community to where we're even having this conversation, I think should serve as evidence that maybe... Maybe, Maybe this, this is, is right. And and, yeah. and if I can elaborate, I don't think you can have, I don't know that you can have the, a, a lasting and growing community like this grow in a GOP effort because no matter, say what you want about the ability of the LP to attain power and, and all of that stuff. And, there, you know, there's some truth in that. But, but um, the GOP will never be home. You know, like it, it will, it will never ever be home. It, it will always be working behind enemy lines. Um, and you can't build a community in the middle of a fucking war zone. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and and um, you just can't. And and I, I would not have guessed. Like when I when when we started this project, it was just kind of like we can't let Bill Weld be the nominee. You know, and 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 uh, there's just all been all these observations and realizations and things that you learn along the way that come with it. And, and I think what this is actually about is nobody would have guessed this. I certainly would have guessed this at the beginning, but the, the idea is that the LP can be a framework for a strong community for libertarians. And, yes. and, and that is not what I would have guessed when I set this out, like set out with this, but that I think is what it's become. And because of that, we can be the gravity to do, you know, all kinds of things that don't encompass that don't even encompass politics. You know, I think right. the thing, like another thing that excites me is, you know, I think you're going to start to see the LP. Yes, it's going to have to do election stuff. Yes, it's going to have to do ballot access stuff. Yes, it's going to have to do candidate stuff, of course. But I think you're going to start to see in the shift of the messaging of the LP, 
promotion of non-state things that build the community. So I think you're going to see promotion of Bitcoin. I think you're going to see promotion of farmers markets. I think you're going to see promotion of homeschool. You know, I think you're going to see more promotion of our articles. You know what I mean? The Ron Paul Institute fee, uh, the Mises Institute, the free thought project, you know what I mean? Like all of that stuff to bring it all home, bring it all together so that there really is an avenue here. Cause you know, let's say you were completely apolitical agorist. Um, you, the social gravity still dictates that you pretty much kind of have to join the LP if the community of agorists is in the LP or a community of people that can help you with your agorist activity is in the LP. And right. that's kind of what needs to happen here is, is that we have a unified vision that works, that is realistic, that's radical and bold, that inspires people. They come in, that enriches the community, which then serves as more of a, a tug on everybody else. Yeah. Well, I was just going to make the point that uh, like this is this is the home for agorism because like that's what we're actually creating with this community. So it, w- whether you're you go, oh, I don't believe in the LP. Well, if you are an agorist, the LP is helping you. So like why why would you right. not be value supporting yep. supportive of it? And and uh, a perfect example, you know, and it's a, it's bizarre and ridiculous, and it's hard for me to believe that this is actually true, but it is. Uh, you know, last month we get we we put together a comedy event with my tower gang idiots and and uh robbie the fire and we go to top lobster's house and we have 40 plus people turn out to watch us fools you know do a live podcast and then have robbie do some stand-up and it was just a beautiful experience everyone's partying and and hanging out and and it's just it's just great i mean so it's like it is it is the agorist uh mindset within kind of an lp mises caucus framework and i think that that's you know we're going we're going to get there like we're we're getting there it's happening the community is happening like it i i i witnessed it firsthand i wouldn't have believed that we could turn out that many people in the middle of nowhere i mean top lives in the middle of fucking nowhere it's like hours away from any airport and we get 40 plus people out there it's it's just a beautiful thing so i don't know it it uh, it, it makes me very optimistic for the future it really does it, and uh you know i i always have to pair that with my pessimism about the current state of the economy and and things like that I did want to talk to you briefly about, um, you know, another another focus of mine is because we know that economic strife is not just upon us, but coming in a very meaningful fashion. Uh, it's now or never, man. Like we, if we're not, if we can't reach people to express to them succinctly why they are suffering economically, they're going to demand further bailouts and further statism and further printing and all of these things that have got us here in the first place. Um, and that's, that's really been my mission as kind of the, the econ business guy is, is like trying to wake people up to why they're hurting. You know, why, why are you getting paid more this year and you feel as if you're drowning, you know, and, and no one has the answer, but the libertarians. So I, I really hope that we can capitalize on that big time. And what that means is that it's incumbent upon us to act courageously, to, to, to come up with answers and to implement them and do that. And the more people you have that doing that, we act as beacons and we break that mold, you know, and, and, and it becomes more acceptable. It becomes more uh, uh, available, like, and, and yeah. viable and all of that stuff. And then maybe you can uh, wake somebody else up to, uh, <clears throat> to uh, you know, themselves start to get involved or so themselves right. change their thinking and Go ahead and tell people where they can follow you if, you, if you'd like. So uh, you can go to takehumanaction.com if you like what I'm saying and uh, sign up for our email list. If you sign up for the email list, 
that will also route your information to uh, to your state level organizers who will then pull you in to this community. So, um, you know, that's that's the best opportunity there. There's MisesMerch.com. We've got, you know, all kinds of designs, you know, hats, shirts, uh, hoodies, button downs, everything. And then finally, because the impediments to growth are out of the way, if you want to go to lp.org uh, slash join, become a member, boost that uh, membership and get involved, now's the time to do it. Love it. Thank you so much, Mike. Before we get into part two, I want to thank our other sponsor for tonight's show, and that is Expat Money Summit. They are an upcoming online summit by my friend, Mikkel Thorpe, who has been on the show uh, from Expat Money, excuse me, expatmoney.com with over 30 experts who are focused on moving your life, business, and wealth offshore. It's free to attend. Expatmoneysummit.com is where you go to reclaim your freedom from chaos and uncertainty. Topics will include how to secure your own plan B safe haven, how to use foreign currencies, offshore banking, and decentralized finance to safeguard your money, how to legally reduce your tax burden, how and where to safely store gold, silver, and other precious metals. Probably a good idea to look into that right now. Uh, where the best countries are in the world to find freedom for yourself and your family, how you can get a second passport to travel the globe without restrictions and get in and out of different countries' borders. You will also learn about a libertarian island haven, private cities, communities on the ocean, and food and energy independent towns in Latin America and Boy, does that sound like a good idea right now. You register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com. This is your way to fight back against what is happening in the world. Stand up, protect yourself, and find out how to secure your new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com. Let's get into part two. And we are back with a quick update from Mike Seymour Mack. He was on the show, what was it, two months ago now? Yeah, about two months ago. Yeah, and we had a great conversation Ended up being more about religion than anything else, but um, <laughs> his employer was uh, threatening to fire him for not receiving the injection of uh, du jour. And uh, so, yeah, I, I won't I won't spoil it. Go ahead and tell us tell us what's the latest and what what's what's gone down. Yeah, so just like a super brief recap, you know, I was working for Santa Fe Pastor in Swiftwater, Pennsylvania, for thirteen years. Started as a temp, worked my way up to a manager associate scientist. In November of last year, they announced that they were going to mandate, you know, the COVID vaccine as a re as a requirement to retain your employment. And then um, I think the the official date at first at that first was announced was in February, and then they pushed it back to uh, March, and then they pushed it back to April. So here we are now. What is it? June 9th. and. Um, they have officially terminated all of the unvaccinated workers at the Swiftwater site. Um, back in November, when this first got announced, it was roughly, from what we understand, about 400 of us that were unvaccinated. Immediately, people started leaving the company preemptively, just started quitting and going to find other employment that sure. where it wasn't going to be a problem. So that number dwindled down uh, pretty quickly. A lot of people just started complying with the policy out of fear of not being able to feed their family and pay their mortgage and all of that stuff. And then as the date got closer, obviously more of that started happening. So we believe that at the time of mid-April, April 20th, when um, when they dropped the hammer, it was probably somewhere around 100 people unvaccinated were left who refused to comply and refused to quit preemptively. And uh, we don't have any hard numbers, but that's kind of our 
summation of of who we know who's in contact with the group of us and uh it's been it's been weird man you know like so at that time when all of my coworkers got terminated i was on an official leave of absence and if anybody watched our previous conversation you know i was dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety and just a lot of dark thoughts which arose from this whole situation so i used my benefits so. yeah of course and i used my benefits i went on short term disability for mental health reasons, I was seeing a, a therapist. I was, uh, you know, just spending more time with my family, trying to work things out. And the way that my policy, my uh, short-term disability policy works, I get a maximum of three months at a clip that I could use. But in my mind, I was thinking, let me not take the full three months. Let me just take a month and then extend it if I need it. Well, in hindsight, that was the worst thing that I could do because mm. when I went to go extend it at the end of that first month at the end of let's say uh the beginning of March um they denied it and they required me to file an appeal and they kept prying and they kept suggesting that if I just give over my therapy notes that that would be maybe enough to get them to accept the appeal and then I would continue to get paid while I was on short term so I stopped getting paid somewhere around second week of March. So, and I didn't officially get terminated until only about two weeks ago, three weeks mm -hmm. ago, maybe, um, because I was on a uh, FMLA, you know, family medical leave. They couldn't really fire me without letting the process run out, but I wasn't getting paid anymore. And um, when they finally denied the appeal, which I knew was going to happen, you know, they said, well, let me know if you need another 30, 45 days. They were willing to string this on even longer for me for some reason. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, suggesting again that if I just provide my therapy notes, that maybe that would be enough to convince them that, you know, I warranted getting that short-term extension, which then they would back pay aren't, me from Aren't, aren't therapy March. notes confidential? Like, A hundred percent. So. Okay. When I spoke with my therapist, now I will say my my therapist that I personally had, I think they're great. My guy really wasn't wasn't that great, you know. And that's just me being very nice. He was like falling asleep in our sessions. And <laughs> I just never said anything, you know what I'm saying? Like I felt bad. His wife was pregnant. They're about to have a kid. Like I just, you know, I just didn't want to give him too hard of a time. Plus, he was serving a purpose. I was letting things out, and they were hitting. They were hitting him. He wasn't really giving me a ton of you know, fabulous feedback, but at least then it's not, I was it's not great with... when your therapist is sleepy uh, or if your therapist needs therapy that I've had that before too. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And I've read some books since then where it kind of shined a light on um, how different therapists operate and how lack lacking mine possibly was, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, especially for my situation. And then when it came down to filing a paperwork and basically convincing these people, like I told them, listen, I don't want you to lie. I don't want you to embellish on what it is. But if you leave any gaps in the information, they're going to run with it. And that's exactly what happened. He kind of half-assed the paperwork. And um, and they were looking to deny it anyway. So it really didn't matter. So from like mid-March until um, last, like two weeks ago, you know, I just wasn't getting paid at all. So it's just mm -hmm. kind of running off of whatever savings that I had, which wasn't excuse me, which wasn't that much. So um, that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, but all these other people, you know, 100 people plus, you know, hundreds of people, if we count all the other sites sure. and the sites in uh, all across America and the other countries. Um, but it's been interesting, you know, and now in our previous conversation, I alluded to some things that 
I wasn't really willing to share at the time because I was still on short term and, you know, kind of under their, under their, uh, stranglehold still. Um, but you know, there are some things that we found out the group of us in the process of this termination unfolding that, you know, if we could afford lawyers, we think a lawyer would probably have a pretty easy field day with it. You know, it's not as, but before we, before we go there, I wanted to ask how, how is the business itself doing? Because it seems hard for me to imagine as a, you know, former business owner having probably 200, maybe 300 of my employees walk over a six month Mm -hmm. period. Like that seems like that would throw a major wrench in my operation. Like I probably couldn't function. Uh, Is the business downsizing because of economic slowdown and they're able to handle it or what? Yeah, no, it's hard to say. I mean, this company has been every year since I got hired pretty much has been downsizing. Do more with less. That's always been the motto. We got to cut that you know, that margin down a little bit. So you're going to have to do more. We're not going to fill these gaps. We're not going to fill these open positions. You're just going to have to do more with, with less, basically. They're going to have to do a hell of a lot more with a hell of a lot less now. They certainly are. Now there's, you know, there's two sides to that. There's plenty of people in this area that are looking for a good paying job who also happen to be vaccinated. So they're going to be able to fill those gaps. I want to say probably fairly easy. But the issue you're going to find is, you know, they cut people who've been with the company 25 years, you know, to to fill in that experience gap is going to take them quite a while to get people up to speed to actually fill those gaps. Now, not everybody that they let go is like a top performer, but sure. there were plenty of them who were with the company, you know, 10, 20 years who were top performers in their departments and were pulling a lot of weight of that do more with less. And now that those people are gone. The people who are left and especially the people who um, were good workers, you know, working alongside us, they're the ones who are, you know, they got to carry the brunt of that work now. And I'm sure that those people are feeling it. Um, I haven't had a lot of communication with people, even people that I'm friends with at the company. Um, You know, there's been a there's there's been a lot of silence in that regard. A lot of uh, I've had some heart to hearts with a couple of friends of mine who I felt like. Um, once this thing started unfolding, they just kind of like threw me to the side Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, what am I going to do? I can't expect all of these people to put their livelihoods on the line for me, even though I have done it for them and I would continue to do it for them, but not everybody is me or the people who got terminated. you know, not everybody has balls to stand up and and speak up, even if they're in compliance and, Right. It's more powerful for those who are in compliance to speak up against policies like this because it's like, what are you going to do? Fire me? I'm in compliance of all your policies. I'm just telling you that I, along with all these other people, completely disagree with the way that you're handling this and yeah. we urge you to stop it. And because those people didn't stand up with us, it was it was allowed to continue. And then ultimately, yeah, all of these people and, lost their jobs, you know. Yeah, it was it was divide and conquer. I, what I would have, yeah. uh, what I was imploring my audience to do was like, say you are the type that wants to get the vaccine anyways, just stand up by saying, "Look, I have medical privacy, mm-hmm. and you know, I'm just not going to provide evidence. Like, I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell you, you know, yeah, I got it. Yeah, but that's it. I'm not, pro- I'm not providing you medical documentation between me and my doctor. Like, I, yeah. I thought, I thought that would have been a, a really powerful stance to take. And 
Um, and then also it puts the employer in a really tough spot because if they fire you for that, and then in discovery, you demonstrate, yeah, I was telling the truth. I was vaccinated, mm -hmm. you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. that would, that would be a really fucked position for that employer to be. in. I think that they would have, uh, you know, lost some serious lawsuits over that. So I don't know. It, it's just, it's just disappointing. It, it showed that a lot of people, you know, they're living hand to mouth and they're, they're just not in a yeah. position where they feel like they can take a stand and we're paying the price for it. Yeah. And you know, like, um, yeah, it wasn't and I easy. get it. But... Yeah, I get it too. Like, that's why I'm saying, like, I don't expect them to sacrifice everything that they've worked for, you know, and sacrifice sure. their families and livelihoods for somebody else. But if, if you're the one who's whispering to me that I don't agree with this policy, even right, though I'm right, in right. compliance with it, well, like, then stand strong, stand yeah, strong. Yeah. You stand strong, Mike, you stand strong. Well, I need you to stand with me. And the only way to stop is if you stand with me. And I'll give mm -hmm. you like an anecdotal, you know, kind of like sidebars. My brother, one of my brothers and his wife, uh, his wife-to-be are going to a concert, I think in Jersey. And they're required, still to this day, required to show proof of vax or mm -hmm. a negative test. And like my family's going back and forth about who can give them the test and all of this, even though they have to go to a doctor, pay for an actual test, the whole fucking nine. Um my my only response in that whole conversation was this is the result of people going along to get along back when you thought it was just like well i'm just i want to go on a cruise so i'm gonna i'm gonna get vaccinated you know you know i'm against all of the way that they're doing it but i still want to go out on vacation so i'm gonna get vaccinated well the more people who did that and agreed to do that and fell in line with that created this sustaining tyranny and that's exactly mm -hmm. what it is and you know like not a lot of my family had a lot to say to me about that, except my my other brother, my older brother, who's completely on board with everything we're talking about. He knows, man. He's just like, yeah, amen, man. This is what happens, you know, when you just go, you know what? It's not affecting me right now, so I'm not really going to stand up. But there's like that poem, and I can never remember who, who the poem is, but it's like, well, they came for the Jews, and I did nothing because I'm not Jewish. And they came for this group, and I did nothing because I'm not them. And then eventually when they came for me, there was nobody to stand up for me because they had already taken everybody else. And that's what I was telling my coworkers before I left. I was saying, Hey, if you think this is going to be the end of the road, you know, you know, once monkeypox showed up, I was like, you better be prepared to get a monkeypox vaccine, some sort of fucking secretive monkeypox experimental vaccine, because <laughs> maybe this is the next step, you know, of their, of their making you prove to them how loyal that you are to the company, you know, that you're going to have to go get this monkeypox thing which isn't affecting anybody at all, basically. So, um, and just saying like, and just so you know, once all of us are gone, there's not really going to be anybody with a backbone to stand up for you when the next wave hits and the next yep. thing comes. And I think those people, there will be a time when that happens. And of course, you know, I think it's going to be like a lot of precedents been allowed now. So it's been, and allowed. by, the way, by yeah. the way, that quote was Martin Niemöller. Um, yes, I so. can never remember his freaking yeah. name, but it's it's powerful, man. And um, you know, I I, uh, I wish more people would have stood up, and I wish more people like a lot of people always give me positive feedback. Like I I'm, I can't believe how strong you've been, and I you know I admire that. And a lot of my friends and family and strangers after doing your show the last time, and I went on uh, break the cycle, and I went on you know um, the system is down, like a couple other podcasts. All the feedback has been amazing, but like we're kind of preaching to the choir a little bit. Sure. You know, anybody who's watching the show is already pretty much on board right. with this uh, process of thinking. 
Um, it's those outside of our sphere and outside of our bubble that we have to try to show that this was not the way, you know, to yeah. allow this to happen, even though it's not affecting you right now. You know, mm -hmm. you got to stand up against these things. So the next thing is going to come. And what's the next thing going to be? The old iteration uh, or the new iteration, I should say, of ban the guns, the new iteration, it, whatever it is, it always comes back around. And people are just making excuses to lay down and take it. And it's well, I think the other the other factor that people haven't considered is that the economy was fairly healthy, you know, in the sense mm -hmm. that like the job market was was pretty tight, and you could go out and you can find a different job. Um, that was that was what we were experiencing over the past couple of years because there was such a shortage of labor. Um, there will come a time where that's not the case, and and that when the economy's uh, suffering and employers are not looking to bring on new people. And then at that point, you know, even, even fewer people will be willing to actually take a stand where they actually have to risk their income. Um, so the fact that in a tight job market where people had lots of job opportunities, we could still not get enough, you know, a, a tipping point, uh, enough people to actually stem the tide of this thing. Uh, yeah. it's a very, it's a very dire sign for the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, it's like anybody who's got half a fucking brain could see it, that this is yeah. what's coming to us. And it's only coming to us because we're allowing it to happen. We're literally just letting it happen. Exactly. And we're making excuses like, you know, the president, you know, posted something on Twitter. I know that I saw you commenting on it. You know, he's talking about inflation. And it's just like when you read the comments, most of the comments are like, uh, yeah, this is because we're printing money. And let's just stop doing that. And maybe we can get a hold of inflation, right. which is just, it's almost uncontrollable at this point. But right. then you read the comments where it's like, thank you so much, Mr. President, for everything you're doing. You're saving our lives. And it's like, either those are bots, which are very, very possible possibility sure, sure. is that they're just bots. Or they're like bots. Or they're bots. You know, or they're bots, <laughs> right? They're bots or they're bots. That's really what it comes down to. And it's just like, man, how do you get to that freaking point? You know, because like even so, even though I voted for Trump uh, the first time he ran, you know, my biggest gripe with him and I'm like, whatever the president is, I will criticize you when you do bad in my eyes. And then I will praise you when I feel like you're doing something good. I don't care sure. if you're red, blue. Hopefully one day we'll get a yellow or golden air or whatever. Right. It's just, you know, my biggest gripe with him was the spending. And then just like the open, like, you know, like the deals with Saudi Arabia and sending them all these fucking arms and, you know, right. you know, fighter jets and all this shit. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this is really, really great. We're getting $40 billion from Saudi Arabia. And it's just like, yeah, that's cool, man. But you're also spending an enormous amount of money. And this is going to hurt us. Like, it might look good today, but in another year, a couple of years from now, it's all going to catch up to us. And like, of so course. that was my biggest gripe with him. Yeah, yeah, I had other too. gripes with him too. But. Well, I mean, the, the it's not just the arms sales that bother me, but the fact that Saudi Arabia was using them against the the Yemeni people, which yeah. are the poorest people in the Middle East. It's like, yeah, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, in any any libertarian worth their salt was flipping out two years ago, regardless of the fact that we like Biden better than, or mm -hmm. excuse me, we like Trump better than we like Biden. It's yeah. like, yeah, this is uh, you you print and borrow you know seven trillion dollars in 2020 like yeah we're gonna fucking pay a price man and and we are yeah yeah but for people to not even like the hardcore trump supporters to not go yeah i had some problems with that right it's just like where are you like yeah. what reality are you living the, in man well those those people are are the in my opinion they're they're the bots of the right you know they're yeah. like they're like well 
it's just pure team sportsmanship. Like he's he's red and I'm red, and so whatever he's doing is correct. Uh, those yeah. are the people that 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 really are a huge problem on both like whatever part of the political spectrum you're on. It's like if you're not if you if you don't have actual principles and you're just playing team sports, well then we're 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 all headed to hell. Yeah, we got a problem. And um like I'm I'm finally proud, you know, like a couple years ago I finally re-registered as a libertarian and I'll be I will be registered as a libertarian yeah. for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I'm finally now after what happened in Reno recently, um I wasn't able to go, but I've you know been watching everything. I'm friends with Heist. I've been talk spoke with him today about everything that was going on and it's just like Nice. You know, I'm finally proud to call myself a libertarian. I've always been a libertarian. Sure. In nature and in practice and all of these things. You know, I may have not always voted <laughs> libertarian. Yeah. yeah that's um, fine. but now that I am registered and I've been registered and that, you know, at some point once I got a little bit, I will uh probably just become a lifetime member and, and get it over with here. Nice. Um, man. you know, I'm I'm finally proud to say that, you know, I actually have some hope with that party. Yeah, and I think that finally, with the old regime out of the LP National, you know, they were, I think I heard Angela say it, um, she was like, it just seemed like they were okay with just being like the third leg at a table and just capitulating to both major parties and just keeping their head low enough to where they, you know, didn't get shot at too much. And like, that's not the fucking point of being no. the third largest party in the nation. The point is to take take over the second and then hopefully one day take over the first. Right. And I think with the Mises caucus finally kind of in control of the messaging and the narrative of the party, you've already seen a pretty good swing in in the yeah. messaging on social media and on Twitter. Uh, LP national followed me a couple days ago and I was like, Holy shit, this is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good sign because uh, I used to be blocked by many of the uh, LP affiliates. So yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, you're somewhere if Sarwark, has blocked you and he blocked me a couple, oh, yeah, yeah. couple months ago oh i've been just calling him forever. a pussy <laughs> just keep calling him a pussy on twitter i'm like yeah yeah i don't agree with that plus you're a pussy and i'll uh I'll see you at the national <laughs> you you sound you sound like a mises caucus member already um, yeah yeah so, yeah. so uh I, I don't have much time before my okay. next interview so let, go ahead and tell us uh, the information about um you know the inner workings of the business that you weren't able to disclose last time yeah, yeah. So um, so right now, kind of where we're at is I think a lot of people, myself included, are at this crossroad where I was talking a big game about suing the company and make sure we hold them responsible, getting justice. Well, the reality is that's going to cost some money to get a lawyer right now, unless sure. there's a lawyer out there who see this information and says it's a short win. Let's let's go for it. Um, it a lot of us are at this crossroads where it's like we want to not back. We don't want to just let it go. But also, how do we do it and, and be able to afford it and still pay the bills, right? So there were two two things it's, that's more than just the, uh, my feelings are hurt. It's unconstitutional. It was the wrong thing to do, which any company that's doing this to their employees, obviously, we all feel that way, that like we were wronged and wrongfully terminated, right? Okay. Trying to prove that in a court of law and that actually being upheld in your favor is so far that precedence hasn't really been set to work in our favor right but so with us what we found out through this process was there were two things when they were making the unvaccinated employees do weekly testing to come on site um in in sanofi's policies they said they would never share our medical information with any third parties right mm -hmm. well they had a third-party telehealth company administer the uh the at-home testing 
log into a telehealth thing, whatever they watch, you take the test, they give you the okay. Well, in the fine print, which one of us read, I didn't read it, but one of us had read, that company stated in their in their terms that they would be sharing it with other companies and with the government and with other entities, which is in a clear violation of the policy from our company. So yeah. it was one thing to agree to let this telehealth just administer the, the test and then they send it back to the company. It's a whole nother thing for that telehealth company to then share that information um, just, you know, with other companies and with the government. Well, and, yeah. Seeing I mean, as your employment contract said they wouldn't do that. So, yeah. yeah. So that's one tangible thing that I think we have in our favor. The other thing that I think is probably um, just as just as big is at the time we're leading up at the time that they terminated us. And then even after they were terminating, terminating us in the previous building I was working in, which is the inspection department, they have a company that uh, a contracting company that they use to fix some of the automated inspection machines called Corber. Now, they're based out of Germany, but they're a multinational company as well. They uh, they were allowing these technicians to come on site. Now, there was one of us in the group who just so happened to be down at uh, security when these guys for the first day were coming on site to start doing this work. And they were going to be on site for several weeks performing this uh, job. They were openly talking about how they weren't vaccinated and that they were being allowed to come on site. And the company was, quote unquote, you know, uh, basically not looking the other way, they didn't say, but they were making an exception. Mm -hmm. One of the people in our group just happened to be down there because they were like facing this uh, termination process. Something happened with their badge. It wasn't working. So they just happened to be down there overhearing all of this. She comes back to us and says, hey, you'll never guess what I heard. Right. So we start talking about this. I go, yeah, well, I worked with these guys when I was in that department. And even in my last department, when I when I left the company, I was working pretty closely with these guys. So I said, let me do a little research, see if I could find something tangible about their policy from that company. So I reach out to Corber and just flat out ask them, what's your vaccination policy? And they state to me in the email, they don't have one. It's really up to the government or the country that they're going to to adhere to the local policy. That's basically how they put it. And these guys were on site in that building, unvaccinated at the time when Sanofi U.S. was terminating employees for being unvaccinated. And they were there for at least a week, maybe even two weeks or longer after they had terminated all of these employees for being unvaccinated. So it's just like, you know what, it comes down to like when it's good for them, they're going to look the other way on their own policies. Meanwhile, they're destroying the lives of hundreds of people in the process. So it's just like one of those things that shows you like uh, one, that's like a tangible thing, right? It's not like this yeah. thing was wrong. Now prove it in a court of law. No, no, no. This was a violation of the policy that you set forth yourself, which you then terminated hundreds of people for. So it's just like, you know, I need to talk to a lawyer. I need to have some sort of consultation with a lawyer um, and see where these things land because well, I go, think... go ahead and go ahead and give people your Twitter handle so that if there are any listening, uh, maybe someone will reach out. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can find me at uh, I think on Twitter it's at Seymour Mac or it might even be underscore Seymour Mac. Uh, but you could you could email me at info at SeymourMac.com or reach out to me through my my website SeymourMac.com. Yeah, perfect. Well, yeah, crazy, right? I mean, it's yeah, just like. Dude. Those seem like some pretty tangible policy violations. Yeah, of their own. Yeah, of course, and it's just and, crazy. And it and it really makes you, you know, just question or doubt 
the sincerity in the policy. It's like, well, why? Yeah. Why do yeah. you have this policy if you're not even going to like if you were going to if you were some true believer that was like, I'm going to apply this thing because I desperately need everyone to be safe. You know, if you're like one of those lunatics that actually yeah. believes it makes you safe. Well, then it has to be uniform like because otherwise it's it's self-defeating by, you know, on its face. And uh, it just to me, it really shows that this is this is corporate you know, HR decision-making that is not actually about health, which is obviously what this is claimed to be. It's, it's about health. And this is what this is about. That company gets hundreds of millions of dollars from the Department of Defense and from the U.S. government and from probably a ton of other governments as well, and they will tow the government line, whatever it is. There you go. Now, a lot of people we're saying, well, you work for a vaccine company. It's a given that you're going to have to get vaccinated. This is unprecedented in the 13 years that I've been there and the 25 years that my coworker was, you know, just got terminated was there. They never required you to get any vaccine across the board. It was specific to the department you were working in. And if that department was working with a live virus, an example would be yellow fever, live virus. You get that you're going to have a bad fucking month. And especially right. if you're unvaccinated. So it's just like, this is unprecedented. And um, that's why it's because the DOD is basically, and the government is telling them, listen, you're going to do this thing, even though it contradicts all fucking reality and facts. And the longer <laughs> things go on, it's just like more evident that right. like this goes against all it's facts. all pointless. <laughs> yeah, it's all pointless. And from what we heard, and I, I you know, there's some way for me to like really verify it was as right after they terminated all of us, there was like a pretty decent covid outbreak at the site so it's just like what do you do then you know yeah what do you do then when all the unvaxxed all the dirty unvaxxed vulnerable people have gone and then you get a covid outbreak anyway it's just like how do you how did the people who stayed there go oh yeah yeah that was the right thing to do <laughs> it's fucking crazy to me man yeah, well it's crazy or it's evil or a little bit of both man but it's yeah. it's all dumb that's for sure yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for the update. Unfortunately, I got to run, man. But I, I just wanted to, before I go, um, you know, commend you again for for having the the moral fortitude to stand up when so few people would. Um, you know, I still do believe that your life will end up being in a better place in the long run. Uh, I think that you know the the world will be in a better place because people are like like you exist. So uh, keep up the fight, brother. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate you for having me back on. Thank you so much, man. Absolutely. Before we get out of here, I just want to thank you guys for supporting the show. Uh, Top told me that in the past couple of months, over 30 of these have sold, have moved. And I'm telling you, this shirt is just so, so tight. Look at it. It's beautiful. It doesn't cost you much. Go to toplobster.com. Pick one up. It's a great way to send a message and to let people know about the show. Because you, you will not walk around town without people going, what is that? <laughs> Especially in Southern Florida, people are constantly like in the elevator. I constantly get bombarded with questions about it, so it's fun. You, if you're not that type of person, well, then just buy it to support the show. But if you are that type of person and you want to actually uh, have a reason to spark a conversation about liberty, boom, there's your there's your avenue. Toplobster.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you would like to support the show in other ways, you can go to libertylockdown.locals.com. Sign up to become a supporting member, and I will be doing, once I get back from Porkfest, which, by the way, I'm speaking, I'm doing two one-hour sessions there. So I hope that if any of you, any of my listeners are there, which I'm sure tons will be, uh, you guys come up and say hi. I love love meeting the listeners because I don't get to see you guys very often. I just see your little AVIs on Twitter or whatever. Um, so it would be great to uh, to meet some of you guys, and uh, I will be doing a AMA on my Locals page 
where you can actually come on on stream with me. Uh, given the economic environment, I think a lot of people will want to do that. All you have to do is be a supporting member, which is like, it's it's tiered, but you can go anywhere from five, 10, 20 bucks a month, something like that. So it's very cheap. I mean, you will not get personalized financial advice for less than that, <laughs> like flatly that you're not going to find anywhere else. And I actually now have a track record. If you've been listening for a while, you now know that I am a better financial analyst than any of the professionals that you've been paying. It's just, it's just the truth. Uh, none of this is financial advice though, of course. Love you guys. I'll see you next time. Oh, how could I forget? Like, comment, share, make friends in the comments, find your husband in the comments, find your wife in the comments. They're in the comments. Just comment. How hard is it? Hit like, hit subscribe, and then hit that little bell. I never even tell you to do that, but like, I'm pretty sure I'm algo suppressed because I talk about some crazy stuff. So if you really like this show and you miss episodes, make sure you hit the bell. Hit the bell. Thanks. We're up. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweet from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go. The government knows, just don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood left these lyrical feminine. A typo with Luke might bring them nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm a shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty, now hear me roar Beat running out, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house The malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic, I rip a 59 Monster ratio, that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war, but we're ready You know I be bopping and rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows, so don't get treated like a hoe